When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pregnancy can be a wonderful and exciting time of anticipation. Most pregnancies result in healthy babies. However, 3 to 5% of all babies are born with birth defects, many of which can be detected through prenatal testing. I'm Dr. Susanna Park, an OBGYN with the San Diego Fertility Center, affiliated with Scripps Health. And today, we'll explain the various prenatal tests available, as well as your options for genetic counseling. This is Pragy Pals, episode 38. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant, and I have to exercise. What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit. I've got cankles. What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Sunny Galt. Are you a member of the Preggy Pals Club? This is our exclusive membership club for all of our loyal listeners. You'll get all of our archived episodes, bonus material after every new show, and special giveaways and discounts. Visit our website, preggypals.com, for more information. And with your membership, you'll also get a free one-year subscription to Pregnancy Magazine. We are very excited about our new partnership with Pregnancy Magazine. If you want some more information, Visit our website, preggypals.com, and be sure to check out the latest issue of Pregnancy Magazine to see our full-page ad. All right, let's meet our panelists here in the studio. And Jackie, let's start with you. Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Jackie Van Hatten. I am 32. I'm a small business owner. I own Van Hatten Photography and a boudoir photographic. My due date is March 30th, and it's a boy. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, this is my first child, and I do hope to do a natural birth and just keep it without any medication. I'm going to have to talk to you after the show about your boudoir photography, um, maybe for a present for my husband. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, Rachel, go ahead. Uh, my name is Rachel Adams Gonzalez. I am 29, and I am a product consultant for doTERRA Essential Oils. Uh, I am due April 10th with a girl. I have a son who is a few months shy of three years old, so they'll be exactly three years apart. And um, we are planning a home birth. We had an unmedicated birth center water birth with my son, so we're trying for a home birth this time. Do you already have all your materials and everything? You're still gathering all that stuff as far we, as equipment? Uh, we are going to be getting all the equipment in the next few weeks. Okay. Yep. I, I can't believe you're already 27 weeks? Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I feel like you just came to me and said you were pregnant. It's amazing. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how your second pregnancy, because I have two boys at home. Isn't it amazing how your second pregnancy is just like, boom! It's just yeah, I can't believe I'm just about into the third trimester. Gosh. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. Okay, well, ladies, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. 
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Before we begin today's show, here are some tips on how to keep your baby nursery on a budget from Cynthia Caden. Hello, Preggy Pals. I am Cynthia Caden, founder of Trick My Crib Nursery and Kids Room Designs, where I help your nursery dreams come true. I'm excited to talk to you today about saving money in the baby's room by designing a room that will grow with your child. When decorating a nursery, there is much to choose from, and often our wants exceed our budget. Wallpaper, custom murals, and paint are all options to consider when designing, but paint is the most versatile and least expensive. So let's talk about colors. The days of choosing between light pink or soft blue are long gone. This means that you can easily and inexpensively design a baby's space that will pop. Decide what color or combination of colors you love for the space and go for it, even if they aren't traditional nursery colors. Make it stunning, make it unique, make it yours, and don't feel constrained in your choices because it's for a baby. Live in the moment and design for your baby, but think ahead too. Do you have a budget that includes redoing this room when your baby is in grade school and no longer wants a babyish room? If you want to save money, I recommend painting with solid colors or combinations of colors that will work for all ages and even work when the room may no longer be for a child. You may wish to consider having neutral walls and then making your space come alive with colorful, eye-catching furniture or decorative items. Paint is an amazing decorating tool. It is inexpensive, you can do it yourself, and the possibilities are endless. I am also a big fan of wall stickers. If you are unable to paint or make other permanent changes to the walls, go online and look at the thousands of wall stickers. They change and personalize a space and come right off when need be. Also, they are really easy on the wallet. I can help you choose colors and make a functional room as part of my flat fee design service. Please like Trick My Crib on Facebook and visit my page often for decorating ideas. Thanks for listening to today's money-saving tips and be sure to listen to Preggy Pals for more great pregnancy tips in the future. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Today we're learning all about prenatal tests available to you during pregnancy to determine the health of your baby. And Dr. Susanna Park is our expert. She's an OBGYN with the San Diego Fertility Center, and she's also affiliated with Scripps Hospital. Dr. Park, welcome to Preggy Pals. Thank you for having me. Okay, so what is the purpose of genetic testing when we talk about it? What exactly are we trying to accomplish? Okay, so the term prenatal testing refers to testing your child before your child is born. And the objective is to try to optimize 
the probability that you will have a healthy child. And secondarily, to give you more information about your child while pregnant so you can make an educated decision. So what is some of that additional information? So a lot of the testing, it ranges from things as simple as blood tests to some other tests which are a little bit more invasive, such as amniocentesis or chorionic villus sampling, to things like ultrasounds, which are very non-invasive. And a lot of these tests are done in different parts of the pregnancy. Okay. And I know you said before our babies are born, you know, we're trying to find out this information, but I also learned that you can actually get a lot of these tests before you become pregnant. Tell us briefly about that. I had no idea you could do this. Absolutely. It's done through a technique called pre-implantation. So before implantation, genetic diagnosis. So before the embryo implants in your body, you can actually do genetic testing of the embryo. Okay. But in order to test the embryo, you then need to create the embryo in the lab, which would then necessitate the procedure called in vitro fertilization, IVF. Okay. And a test like this is really most suitable for somebody with a known genetic disorder in their family, or you know that either you or your spouse carries a known genetic disorder, and you want to minimize passing that disorder down to your children. Okay. And I know that's a more costly option. About how much? What is the ballpark in IVF? An IVF cycle costs approximately $10,000, okay. but that's without the cost of medications. If you add the cost of the medication, you're talking approximately $15,000. Okay. So going back to the regular prenatal tests that most of us get when we find out we're pregnant, are all of these tests voluntary? Absolutely. The American College of OBGYN, which is the governing body for OBGYNs in the United States, mandates that you offer all patients prenatal testing. You must educate them. But it is up to the patient. She can refuse any of these tests. Absolutely. Okay. Let's toss it here to uh, the panelists here in the studio. How do you guys feel about prenatal testing? Did you guys opt for it in your pregnancies so far? Jackie, let's start with you. Uh, Yeah, we did it in the second trimester. There's an option to do one in the first trimester. Uh Um, We didn't really feel that it was that important at the time, so we opted in for a second. And um, I think your doctor talks to you about it about four weeks after the testing. Okay. Okay. And what about you, Rachel? Um, We did it with my son. This time we did not. Uh, I just didn't. um, Really what it came down to was, our um, sonographer, where we have our ultrasound, is so, the technology he has is so incredibly advanced that I didn't see a need with my son. I felt like we were duplicating with the tests that we had done and everything that he could see in the ultrasound was just phenomenal. So since we were having the ultrasound this time, and yeah. I was like, I just don't see it necessary. And yeah. I mean, we weren't, we're not high risk for anything that we Sorry. know of, so... Obviously, if that would be a totally different situation if we were high risk or tested right. for something. Um, right. But, um, you know, since we didn't come up positive for any kind of markers or anything in the past, we just decided that we could see everything with the ultrasound that we were going to sure. test for anyway. Sure. Dr. Park, what um, advice do you have for parents out there that are trying to make this decision? Let's just say it is your first pregnancy. You don't know about any, you know, markers or anything like that, you know. Um, what would you say to them to help make this decision? Right. And I think, Rachel, you that what you said was exactly right. You're not high risk. Rachel's 29 years old. Mm-hmm. So and you take into consideration your age, 
your medical history, your family history. If you are at low risk, you're absolutely right. There's no need to undergo invasive testing. And an ultrasound is so non-invasive as you experienced. And it's a great way to see the fetus, to see the anatomy. And you can be reassured with a normal ultrasound, especially if it was done in the second trimester. Mm -hmm. So I think what patients need to take into consideration are their risk factors for having a child with an anomaly. If you're young, you have no significant medical problems, you don't engage in any adverse lifestyles, you're not a smoker, you you don't take illegal drugs, Mm -hmm. Uh, you have a family history that is really Mm non-contributory, then it's okay to be very conservative. But remember that as women get older, so the average age in the United States of conceiving your first child is getting older and older because women delay becoming pregnant, mostly for career reasons. It could be for social reasons. But as women get older, the risk that they will have a child with an abnormality starts to increase as well. Okay, and that's probably the, the largest factor in determining um, your risk for having a birth defect okay. in somebody with a normal medical history. Okay. So let's talk about some of the screening tests that we could have during the first trimester. So most of the first trimester tests are blood work. And a lot of these blood work, they just measure various hormones. Um, in addition to that, they do something called nuchal translucency, where they do an ultrasound and they look at the back of the baby's neck. Mm-hmm. And depending on the thickness of it, they can then, then determine, hmm, I wonder if this baby's at risk for a certain condition, and perhaps we should do more aggressive or more invasive testing. And that's an ultrasound? The nuchal translucency absolutely is an ultrasound. So the most conservative tests that are non-invasive in the first ultrasound in the first trimester are ultrasound and blood test. And then if any of that comes back suspicious, you can do a more confirmatory test in the first trimester, but it is invasive called chorionic villus sampling, CVS, where they take a biopsy of the placenta, which is supposed to be a reflection of the chromosomes of the fetus. Uh, Explain to us what a biopsy is. A biopsy is when you go in with an instrument and you take a little piece of the tissue. Okay. And that's why it's considered invasive. Correct. Okay. Correct. And of course, the biggest concern for a lot of patients is, well, what's the risk this is going to damage my baby? Right. Okay. And with CVS, the, the proximate risk is about 1%. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you were talking about the blood work. What mm-hmm. is the blood work testing for in the first trimester? So different hormones. Um, so in the first trimester, PAPP-A is the most common blood test that you check in the first trimester. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the other blood tests can be done later in the second trimester, such as estriol, HCG, alpha fetal protein, which tests for various conditions. What are, yeah, let's talk about some of those conditions that we're actually looking for. So okay. we know we're taking these tests, but we need to know, okay, what are we actually looking for in the baby? Right. So the most common birth defect that, that you see among live births is Down syndrome. Okay. And what Down syndrome is, is three copies of chromosome 21. So normally a person will have 46 chromosomes, so 23 chromosomes all in double copies. But sometimes you can have extra copies or insufficient copies of a particular chromosome. Okay. So Down syndrome is three copies of chromosome 21, and that's the most common chromosome abnormality we see in live births. And that's part of the blood work that we're doing? Absolutely. for that? Yep. Okay. That's part of the blood work. And the second most common that it tests for is three copies, which is called trisomy, of chromosome 18, because that's the second most common chromosome abnormality we see in women who have a live birth. 
Okay. And what does that look like in children? Like, what are some of the issues that children have yep. as a result? A lot of them have mental retardation. Okay. In Down syndrome, you can have moderate mental retardation, but with trisomy 18, trisomy 13, it's pretty severe mental retardation and a very short lifespan. Okay. But in women who have miscarriages, most of the chromosome abnormalities don't result in a live birth. So most of them will end up in the miscarriage I see. early in the first trimester. Okay. So you don't actually see those in a live birth. Okay. So the most common actually among miscarriages is actually three copies of, tri- of chromosome 16. It's actually the most common one that you will see. What about um, more common things like a physical exam, your pap smear, stuff like that? Absolutely. Is all of that routine as well in the first trimester? Yes. So the most important thing you can do when you go to your OBGYN, once you know you're pregnant, is to really be accurate when you fill out your intake sheet, okay. right? Your history, your medical history, what surgeries you've had, your OBGYN past, how old were you when you first got your period? What kind of problems did you have that were gynecologic, painful mm-hmm. periods, cysts on your ovaries, et cetera? Your allergies, what medications you're taking, including over-the-counter herbs, those are medications that your doctor should know about. And of course, your family history. Mm-hmm. Okay? And then your doctor will then do a physical exam. And then your doctor will do a pap smear if you haven't had one that was up to date. And then just basic screening for different infections, your blood type, uh, based on your ethnicity, your, he or she may do different testing. For example, if you're of Jewish descent, Ashkenazi Jewish, you will undergo an Ashkenazi Jewish testing. Again, you can refuse to do it, but it's a blood test. Okay. Um, in addition, your doctor will check your weight, your blood pressure, uh, confirm that the baby's doing fine. What about urine tests? Absolutely. You do a urine test to make sure there's no protein in the urine, there's no infection, there's no sugar in the urine. Okay. Okay. There's no f- sugar for diabetes. Okay. What about for UTIs? Is that common um, in the first trimester? Absolutely. And the thing about pregnancy and UTIs is when you're not pregnant, you tend to be symptomatic. But when you're pregnant, it's not uncommon to not have symptoms, even though you have a bladder infection, hmm. which is why with every prenatal visit, they check your urine, and it's called the dipstick. They dip it to see if you have any evidence of infection at all. Okay. Just a quick question. Um, I know I've been doing the urine test every time you go in. Mm-hmm. The proteins, what does that mean when you see proteins mm-hmm. in the urine? Having protein in urine is a sign of what's called preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure in pregnancy. And usually, it's rare for, to see that in the first trimester, but usually in the second to the third trimester, you, you can be at risk for preeclampsia, and that's what you're trying to rule out. Okay. It's nice to know that. I guess I never <laughs> asked my doctor before, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I always tested for trace amounts through, like, from the very beginning, first trimester with my son and this time, too. So they Oh, for protein. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. Like, very minuscule amounts, but they said that mm-hmm. for some people, as long as you're testing for it from the beginning, right. then there's it's no nothing, change. Yeah, there's That's nothing right. to worry about That's unless right. it increases. That's right. And another thing that I do want to mention that often gets overlooked is domestic violence. Okay. You know, that's something, an issue that is not often spoken about. Right. And if you usually go to the restroom, you will see a sign for domestic violence. And that's something that to keep yourself and obviously your fetus safe is something that you should address with your OBGYN. Yeah, that's actually a question they ask me. My medical provider asks me now every time yep. I go in. Yep. So it's one of the standard questions. Absolutely. 
Right. Absolutely, yeah. Um, let's talk about the glucose challenge test. I know mm-hmm. not everyone is going to have this, especially in the first trimester, but I'm one of the, the lucky few that did. <laughs> um, I In my last pregnancy, I have two little boys at home. And um, my first pregnancy, I didn't have a problem with glucose at all. My second pregnancy, but but I had a big baby. He was over mm-hmm. nine pounds. Oh, wow. And so going into this. <laughs> did you come over vaginally? I did. Oh. <laughs> I did, oh, but it, it was medicated, so don't feel too bad for me. <laughs> everyone's giving me these crazy looks Um, so going into my second pregnancy my doctor said okay you had a big baby with this last one we want to test you first trimester with the glucose challenge so tell us a little bit about that and why women might need that that's right so if you have had diabetes in past pregnancy or you have a family history of diabetes in a first degree relative meaning um, your parents your sibling or your child, um, you should get tested for diabetes early in the first trimester. Okay. If, however, you don't have any such risk factors, then you can wait till you're about 26 to 28 weeks pregnant. And all it entails is that you drink something sweet, and then they draw your blood an hour later. And then depending on the level, if the level is not normal, then you then have to go back and do another test where a three-hour glucose tolerance test where you drink even more sugar and then they draw your blood every hour for three hours. So it's basically what you would do at like the 24 or whatever week mark when mm-hmm. you typically have it. It's just if you have any of the risk factors, you know, you do um, it in the you'll first do it in trimester. the first trimester. Absolutely. Okay. And the reason for that is if you have diabetes that is not well controlled in pregnancy, you would increase risk for having a child with a birth defect. Okay. I mean, yes, you can have a large child, et cetera, but right. the, the most serious complications increase risk of birth defects. Okay. Yeah. In my situation, I had the test and I think it was like at 12 weeks or something like that Mm -hmm. and I was okay Mm -hmm. Um, but then I had some issues later on which we'll talk about when we talk about the second trimester (laughs) testing (laughs) is there anything else in first uh, trimester that we should talk about no I think you that was pretty good yeah okay so let's talk about second trimester screenings what are we looking for here okay so for the second trimester the most important thing is oftentimes especially if you're trying to avoid invasive testing you try to do a combination of first trimester and second trimester blood work to get an overall assessment of the risk that you will have a child with a chromosomal problem. So some of this may be follow-up work depending on, okay, for screening. Right, and often what you do is you get the results from the first trimester screening, you combine that with the results from the second trimester screening, and you compute a risk to the patient of her probability of having a child with a birth defect. And usually if the risk is super low, it's never zero, right, because none of these tests are 100% guaranteed. But if the risk is super low, many patients, rightfully will opt to just forego any further testing. Okay. If the risk is obviously abnormal, then it will be highly recommended that you do undergo further invasive testing. And in the second trimester, that's usually something called an amniocentesis. Okay. okay. And that's usually done when you're about 16 to 18 weeks pregnant. And basically what it is is the fluid that surrounds the baby You put a needle into that fluid, and you extract the cells inside that fluid. And then you can examine the cells and look to see if your baby's chromosomally okay or not. Okay. Along with that, you also perform an ultrasound of the baby because that amniocentesis is done under ultrasound guidance. So when you perform that ultrasound, you can clearly see by that time, by 16 to 18 weeks, the anatomy of the baby. Okay. So that's another tool you can use to try to optimize having a child that's chromosomally normal. What birth defects is the amniocentesis testing for? 
Same thing with Down syndrome, trisomy okay. 18. But what's different is if you do an amniocentesis, you can actually look at all the chromosomes. Of so if your there's baby. another disorder, exactly, okay, right. it'll pick it up then. Right, like chromosome 1, chromosome 7, the m- less common disorders, in addition to the X and Y chromosome. Okay. So you can learn the sex of your child, which you may or may not want to know. Right. And they can give you the result of the amniocentesis. Without knowing the That's gender. That's right. That's right. Okay. Right. All right. Um, panelists here in the studio, how do you feel about invasive testing? I mean, if you, I know it's kind of hard to put yourself in that position, um, but if if one of your tests came back, you know, where it was kind of a question mark and you know, more invasive testing was an option, how do you guys feel about that? Jackie? It would just depend on the percentages, mm-hmm. um, whether or not I'm at a high risk. Okay. Um, I guess it would just be really difficult. And I've, I've heard about amniocentesis is it does actually have a percentage rate with um, miscarriages. That's correct. And it's less than 1%. It's about 1 in 1,000. Okay. But it's still, as a mom, you know, you, you may not even want to risk that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's still a pretty big risk. Yeah, I think at that point, um, it just really depends on what we found the first time around and why it needs to be more invasive. Mm -hmm. So unless I really know a specific situation, I could say yes or no. Either way, it's, I don't know. And you said you did the second trimester screenings. That's what you guys opted for in this pregnancy, right? Yeah, and the reason for that is I have Crohn's disease. Um, I've had a bowel resection. So we just wanted to do it just to make sure everything was okay. Okay, that makes sense. I will say that um, I had an amniocentesis a year ago, February, and I opted to do it because of my age. So having performed amniocentesis in patients and now all of a sudden being on the table, (laughs) I got to say, I was so anxious and so nervous. Really? And it, 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 it really speaks to really going through personally what you do to your patients sure it really gave me a new perspective about invasive testing that we do yeah and thankfully i mean it, it literally took her two minutes to do the procedure right. but even waiting for the test results i was so anxious how long does that take one week one week mm-hmm. okay yeah pretty fast right? yeah yeah okay yeah. and then uh, rachel how do you feel about invasive testing i just think it's a really personal decision i don't think that it's it's not a one-size-fits-all yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. not something you can say across the board. And I think the main thing is for whoever's making that decision to know why they're making that decision and what they're hoping to get out of it. Because if you're doing it just, just for knowledge's sake or for if there's something that you're going to do with the results or you know, just have an idea of why you want to do it. Sure. So um, I know in the first trimester, we talked about uh, the glucose test, but typically it's the second trimester that you do have this test, right? Absolutely. And this, it, like we said, it's the same process. You know, you go for your your one hour, mm-hmm. you know, testing, which you drink mm-hmm. that lovely sugary drink and <laughs> have to wait. Um, you know, so I, I was telling you guys that I had to, I had the marker, so I had to do it the first trimester and I came out okay. Second trimester, I went back for the one hour and I, I had some 
elevated levels. So I had to go back for the three hour. <laughs> they need to. Someone told me that they're actually coming up with what is it? Uh, jelly beans that you can take instead of that sugary drink. Have you heard this? Too, I have. Dr. Yes. Park? Yep. yep. I wish my provider <laughs> <laughs> would opt into these jelly beans because I think that'd be a better option. Um, so I went back for the three hour, and um, it. Um, I think it was it was inconclusive. Like I couldn't be classified as being having gestational diabetes. Mm-hmm. I was borderline. Yep. Borderline up. So what does that mean? <laughs> I have to come back third trimester and redo the three-hour test. Yeah. <laughs> I have had my fill of these tests, let me tell you. Um, ultimately ended up having gestational diabetes, but it, you know, they didn't classify me with that until I was 34 weeks. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, every adjusting my diet and testing my levels mm-hmm. and everything I only had to do for a month and a half, so it wasn't too too big of a deal. Um, okay, anything else in the second trimester that we should talk about? So there's something that are unique to the second trimester. Okay. So one is your blood type. If you are what we call Rh negative, so A negative, B negative, AB negative, O negative, when you are 28 weeks, you need an, an injection of something called Rogam, which is a form of antibodies. Okay. And what it will do is it will bind to anybody's, any antibodies you have in your blood should your fetus be blood type positive because at that time you don't know the blood type of your fetus okay so that's something that's unique that's done in the second trimester okay the other thing is in the second trimester you also start doing kick counts right so you have to start counting when your baby kicks about 10 times in an hour and that's very important because when you know that your baby is kicking regularly it's reassuring that your baby is healthy and doing well that's one of the things i love um about when your baby starts to move it's a constant reassurance that that things are going well and your baby's progressing right i want to mention one other thing is that they're coming out and it's it's in some clinical use uh with a blood test okay. to screen for down syndrome and trisomy 8 18, it, when it's it's uh, it's unique in that it's a blood test, a mother's blood test, but it's actually checking the DNA of the baby. Really? Mm-hmm. And that's have you heard of that, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's coming out. It's not. Um, it, it's in its infancy stages in clinical use. Okay. But it's soon. It's going to be the way of the future. And right now, it's really more for Down syndrome, which is trisomy twenty one and trisomy eighteen. But it's going to be the way of the future. So, what will that replace, or is it just an additional test that you take? Would it, it wouldn't replace the amniocentesis that we talked about? Would it? Right now, no. Okay. Um, but. Hopefully, if it becomes sensitive enough in the future, it, that may be the go-to. Oh, nice. Because right now, all the blood tests you're doing are hormone levels on the mother. Right. But this is actually testing the DNA and the RNA of the actual baby. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. How long do you think it could be before something like that is available? S- some centers are using it now, but with caution. Okay. But I think within a, within the next few years, absolutely. Oh, yeah. nice. Okay. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about testing during the third trimester, as well as meeting with a genetic counselor should your results be abnormal. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Today we are talking about prenatal testing and genetic counseling. And Dr. Susanna Park, she's an OBGYN. She's affiliated with Scripps. She is our special guest expert today. So let's talk about uh, tests that we can opt for in the third trimester, Dr. Park. So in the third trimester, when you're about 36 weeks, they usually do a culture. 
a vaginal culture and a rectal culture. So you just get a swab and put it in the vagina and over your rectum for something called group B streptococcus, GBS. And the reason for this is if your culture comes back positive, then when you are in labor, you need antibiotics so that your child doesn't get infected with GBS. Okay. And what would happen if they did get infected? Like what are some of the symptoms? or Yeah, they can get very, very, very sick and they can actually die. Oh, wow. Yep. And, and would that happen in the newborn infancy stage? Correct, correct. Okay. And this is something that you can so easily prevent with antibiotics. Okay. If, however, you have a history of having had a child that was sick from GBS in the past, then they won't even do the test. They just will treat you automatically when you're in labor. Okay. What else are we looking for in third trimester? Um, again, so if you had an abnormal glucose test, you oh, would do the yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you could drink the, drink the, the juice again. <laughs> okay. And then there are some um, patients with certain risk factors who may need some extra testing. So perhaps you may need a few extra ultrasounds. So for example, let's say your baby's measuring a little bit bigger than they thought, perhaps not growing as well, so it's measuring a little bit smaller than it should be. They uh-huh. may do an ultrasound to make sure the baby's okay. You, they may also do an ultrasound to see where your placenta is. They may do an ultrasound to see how your baby's positioned. Um, Sometimes they do something called a non-stress test, which is, for example, let's say you were an older patient or you had a certain medical condition. They want to keep a closer eye on you. They'll ask you to go to a center where they put you in the monitor, and one monitor looks for contractions of the uterus, and the other monitor looks at the baby's heart rate. And they want to see the baby's heart rate going up and down to a certain degree, about twice in a 20-minute time span. So that's called a non-stress test. I had non-stress tests for gestational diabetes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it was a commitment, I have to say, because you're already going, you know, towards the end of your pregnancy, you're going to see your provider quite a bit Every anyway. Week. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I went, I think it was Tuesdays and Thursdays. And, um, you know, they have to space it apart like that. And it was nice to hear the baby's heartbeat, and it was nice to see him on the monitor again. But um, it's also a challenge when you have little kids. <laughs> <laughs> because my, my other one came with me all the time. Mm-hmm. But I'm quite familiar, you know, with the yeah. non-stress yeah. tests. Just have a quick question about, you say you take measurements first and then you decide whether or not the baby's measuring big or small, and then you go in for an ultrasound. Oh, no, those are all separate things. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, okay. so when you go to see your doctor, your doctor does manually, well, f- well first they measure the, the height of your uterus with a tape. Right. And sometimes they'll put their hands and you get an idea of what the weight is. But let's say the weight is consistently coming back small or the tape measures consistently coming back smaller okay. than you should be, then okay. they'll probably send you for an ultrasound. Okay. Got it. Let's talk a little bit about genetic counseling. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if a lot of people even know what that what that means. And right. and maybe you wouldn't even know what a genetic counselor was if you, you know, none of these tests came back right. abnormal. So so tell us first what a genetic counselor is and what that person does. Okay. So genetic counselor is somebody who's on, undergone special education and training to understand the various birth defects that can occur. Um and how to counsel a patient as to what these are and what are the risks and what the tests are and the treatments one can offer. They're very, very useful, resourceful people. Okay. When would you meet with a genetic counselor? What point? The most common time patients will meet with them is twofold. Number one, before you undergo some kind of testing to sit down with them and they can explain to you this is why you're doing the testing. Secondary testing or is this initial test? Well, usually it's secondary, but it can even be before initial because there are some patients who don't want to be tested. So the role of a genetic counselor is to educate you and say this is why you need the test, be it primary or secondary. This is how the test is done. 
And this is how you get the results. And this is what we're going to do with the results. But usually, it, it, the, nowadays, people meet with the genetic counselor after they've done the initial screening test, mm -hmm. and it's not normal. Okay. And now they need more invasive testing. That's usually when they meet with the genetic counselor. To determine if they want to pursue exactly. that option. Exactly. Okay. Or, and currently, you can also offer genetic counseling even there are some patients who just want invasive testing from the beginning. They want the definitive tests. And usually those types of patients, you will have them see the genetic counselor just so they understand the risks of the invasive right. test. Is it mandatory? I mean, maybe it depends on the provider. Exactly. That, yeah. And many providers do suggest that you see the genetic counselor first. Okay. What happens in a session, um, a genetic counseling session? So the most important thing, again, is history. Like, you really need to know your history. And in this case, family history. Okay. They do what's called the family tree. And, and they go far a number of generations. And so the more educated and the more knowledgeable you are about your own family, the better the genetic counselor can help you. And once, and it's amazing how when, when I will send patients to genetic counselors and I do family history, but boy, when they come back to me, the genetic counsel counselor has unearthed so many more conditions <laughs> that I didn't even think of yeah. or realize. It's really amazing. They're so resourceful. And so once they do your family tree, they will then talk to you about the reasons why you came to see them. But in addition, new information that they gleaned from you, they'll counsel you about that as well and offer you any additional tests if necessary based on the information they gathered. Okay. So what happens, you know, after someone goes to see a genetic counselor? Let's say that maybe their mind isn't quite made up yet on, on what to do. Are there other resources that, for example, the genetic counselor may recommend in order to make that decision? Or is it pretty much up to the couple at that point? It's pretty much up to the couple. But the genetic counselor will send you home with odds ratios and okay. information. Um, you know, but the biggest thing is, what are you going to do with this information? Right. Yeah, it's, that's exactly what Rachel said. No, right. but when you're going into this, right. what you want to get out of it. Because if, if you were referred to the genetic counselor because you had an abnormal screening test, great. But if you're requesting invasive testing, what are you going to do with this information? Because sometimes you put yourself in a psychological dilemma where now you're anxious and you're stressed about mm -hmm. the test result. And so that's also what the genetic counselor does is is educates you that this test will be anxiety-provoking, not only the test itself, but just waiting for the test results. Sure. And so they offer a lot of counseling, a lot of support, and, uh, and they will give you your options as to if it is abnormal, these are your options. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. Okay, well, Dr. Park, thank you so much for explaining all this with us today and uh, for all the information. It's been, it's been really good. Thank you. This conversation continues for members of our Preggy Pals Club. After the show, we'll talk about some of the questions you should ask your genetic counselor. We have a comment from one of our listeners. This comes from Kate of Lafayette, Louisiana. She writes, Hi, Priggy Pals. I just listened to your episode focused on Lamaze. Prior to listening, I had no idea Lamaze consisted of more than just breathing during labor and delivery. And honestly, Kate, I had no idea either. She says, I know this episode is part of your series focused on childbirth preparation methods. Any chance you can do an episode on hypnobirthing? So, Kate, actually, we've already done an episode on hypnobirthing, but you probably haven't heard it yet if you're listening in sequential order. So this came out, let's see, it was episode 30. And here's a great way to find out what episode 
episodes we've done. If you go to our website, which is preggypals.com, and you go to the episode section, there's a new link we've created called Episode Guide. So if you click on that, you're going to see all the episodes we've done. And what's really great about this is it shows you how you can listen to each episode. Some episodes are just available on iTunes. Some are available through our app. And all of our archived episodes are available through our Preggy Pals Club. That wraps up our show for today. We'll learn all about epidurals, spinals, and other pain medications used during labor and delivery next week. Thanks for listening to Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, Please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.